My guest today on the podcast is Lucy Friedman. Lucy's been a trainer and therapist in transactional analysis using NLP for a good long while and has taken a good portion of her career to bring NLP and leadership development coaching into corporations. I'm very thrilled to have her here. Um, She's been somebody I've been wanting to get on this, this podcast for a long time and things have conspired against us, but here we go. Lucy Friedman, looking forward to this. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hello, Lucy. Nice to see you. Hi, Doug. Welcome. So I'm in New York State. You're in Santa Cruz-ish, California? I'm in the Santa Cruz Mountains in Northern California. That's amazing. And you guys have had quite a bit of weather there of late. Today, it is not raining. This is a notable day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but you've had bomb cyclones. I never heard of bomb cyclones. And now you guys get bomb cyclones. You get atmospheric rivers coming at you. I mean, good Lord almighty. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Anyway, that's not why I asked you here. Um, <laughs> this is the, the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And, and I am amazed that we've never met before. I mean, I mean, seriously, in person or otherwise, um, I just met you for the first time like a day ago, but you've been around NLP longer than I have, uh, you know, as long, since the beginning, practically. Can you tell us a little bit about your roots in the NLP world? Well, it was, it was a, a definitely life-changing experience to be introduced to NLP. I had been uh, already practicing transactional analysis. Mm-hmm. I was a uh, I was a TA therapist, and I also was a high school teacher back in the day. And that's when NLP came along. It was one of my TA trainers who actually introduced me to some of these funny words that were NLP based. So I got curious about that. And I was living in Washington D.C. at the time, so I wasn't here in the in the heart and hotbed of developing NLP, but I was fortunate because there were some connections that brought people to DC, including Robert Diltz. Your podcast with him I was just listening to is so delightful to be reintroduced to a lot of those distinctions. But back then, there were a couple of uh, initial trainings in NLP and some of the first things that Robert did were some um, workshops on meta programs. So we were coming from MetaProgram, which interestingly, when you're studying transactional analysis, one of the big aspects of that is life scripts, mm-hmm. life scripts and interpersonal games, which are patterns that repeat and MetaProgram right. certainly are the design of our lives and so many things. And they were just exploring that then. And I remember being in several different living rooms where workshops were being held. And then they began developing the practitioner trainings. And that's when... I met more of the people because they would come through and kind of do the 
dog and pony show um, weekends. Were this was still, still in Washington or did you relocate at this point? That was in Washington. Okay. I was in Washington for years. And in fact, my first NLP trainings in California were by coming out here for trainer training. Mm -hmm. And I think it might've been 81 okay. where they had a building over on the West side of Santa Cruz. That was the division of training and research. Of NLP of training research. D Dotar, right? Dotar. Yes. They had Dotar. Dotar. Yeah. Going and, and yeah, I've, I have heard of Dotar. I think it was David Gordon was telling me about Dotar. What an amazing thing that you were there. Bandler, Grinder, Leslie Cameron Bandler, David Gordon. Yeah. I mean, good and God. David, David was one of the people who came on the on the road trips to DC. And so I and a friend of mine and David, we actually hung out out, you know, after training sometimes because they were out of town, you know, and so we could mm -hmm. just we would just hang out with them and it was really fun to uh, spend time with David Gordon as well as Robert and um, some of the others that came. Yeah, great, great, great people. So that's just amazing to me that you've been around f for that long. And Dotar <laughs> is actually a place that you could go to and that you were there. It was amazing. a physical place. That's where I met, I met Michael Grinder there as well as of course, John Richard and all, but Michael Grinder, Michael LeBeau. Wow. Actually, awesome. Stephen, Connie, Ray, Andreas as well were uh, participants and part of the group. There. Amazing. Cool. And so you became a trainer. Did you do any trainings? Did you do uh, NLP training? Did you teach people? I did somewhat under the name of NLP. And I was interested at the time, both with what I was doing with TA and with NLP, is translating it to people who weren't going to show up in a therapy office. Uh -huh. and, and where there were larger needs and my idea of spreading things more broadly. Um, and also what was uh, learnable by people who were in the, out in the population, because, because we were spending weekend after weekend doing NLP trainings and going 21 days in depth into the, you know, and, and when I was interacting with people in organizations and, and, in government agencies, because I was in the DC area and people in businesses is that wasn't going to transmit. Right. Later, it turned out that some of my clients at HP did get turned on enough to get the budgets to be able to send their people to practitioner training. So there's a whole cadre of people out here in the West Coast who got who, who learned NLP because Hewlett Packard did fund their training, but mostly you're not going to reach as broad an audience. So what I did was I designed what I felt were the core skills and the, the categories of behavior skills into something that would um, address uh, technical professionals who could use people skills. And it was a way of using the technology of communication that came out of NLP to meet people where they are and give them a kind of a technology for interacting with these rather dreadful and unpredictable things called humans. Yeah. You know, cause if you're, if you're a systems programmer at that time in the world, you're dealing with computers, you're dealing with machines, you're dealing with, you know, way before yeah. everybody had one in their hand and in their pocket and on their watch. <laughs> I know. My my watch rang the other day. Is it hello? <laughs> I, was just, 
talking you know, so people were people were dealing with a lot of breakdowns in organizations that happened to center around developing uh, the the computer systems and uh -huh. so i saw that as a as a business need and also a thing that would attract people who wouldn't normally go for you know not like the sales guys who all wanted to learn nlp or ta or things that would help them sell these right. were people who were please protect me from having to deal with too many people yeah and so, yeah. so we took on the challenge we took on the I, challenge i particularly am fascinated by that because you know um these days or i don't know when these days started but mostly people who learn NLP, they, they take a practitioner training and then they go from a practitioner to the master practitioner training. And then if they want to continue on, they take a trainer's training. And then all they do from there is they say, okay, now I am a trainer. So I'll teach other people in the practitioner training and then teach them in the master practitioner level. And then, then maybe they'll get to be trainers too. And then, you know, so there's more and more people just doing NLP trainings. That's kind of it. You know, so, which is great. If they're yeah. also practicing with people who aren't in NLP. <laughs> if they're also practicing with coaching clients and people. Yeah. Because that, that what are the five elements that you took that you do you, you sort of codified in a way to make it uh, accessible for you know non-NLP? Yeah, these are all be things that are recognizable to people with NLP, though I the terminology. One of the things I will say that I learned from transactional analysis is that mm -hmm. using easily understandable language, if you want to transmit the skills to the people you're working with, you know, versus just using it with them. Yeah. You know, the language needs to be not things like, you know, meta model and complex equivalents and linguistic terms that come from NLP. And yeah. so I was working on, it took me a while to, to, just get these things named, but they're very recognizable to people who've learned NLP because most of it is NLP based. So one is the area of outcomes, mm -hmm. being able to shift to actually, I think we were the ones who first named the, you know, Robert used to teach about the problem frame and the outcome frame, mm -hmm. and then it would be called the blame frame. And we were teaching one day and one of our participants said, and the aim frame the blame frame hmm. and the aim frame. And so we developed that. So, and then how do you develop a fully specified outcome? So that section we just call plan. So having outcomes, being able to shift to the positive and not, not the problem um, is one set. That's thing one. Thing two, you mentioned in your conversation with uh, Robert was interesting about how the first people who learned to do meta modeling or, or gathering information from John Grinder went out without using rapport. And so the whole right. second thing that we have are, we call link, which are the rapport skills. All right, good. And then we took the meta model itself, mostly distinguishing between what and how questions versus why questions, uh -huh. and took it into the area we call inform, which is how do you gather information, clean information, high quality information. So inform skills are, uh -huh third aspect. And then there are learn, you know, like you do what you set your outcome, you do what you do. You know, it's like Robert's tote, test, operate, test, exit, like what's my outcome? Then what did I do? And then in the center, what we, what I brought in that is not NLP based, but the NLP principle of modeling, you know, modeling excellence applies That's here. True. 
And it was the modeling the excellence in one of the core practices of everyday life and business, which is making requests and agreements. And we call that area balance with a number of implications about balancing between people and balancing the task and the relationship and so forth. But it comes down to how do you articulate clear requests? How do you follow up? All the things you have to do to be effective in any you know, organization, interaction, relationship. Right. So those are the five. It's, they, we call them plan, link, inform, learn, and balance. And all, all together, that's your syntax for change. That's a syntax for change. Cool. Yes. And if people want to find out more about that, they can go to syntaxforchange.com. For <laughs> and we have people who are now bringing uh, syntax into combination of their coaching practices and their corporate clients who are now in the next uh, cohort mm -hmm. of people who are uh, getting certified in syntax and bringing it to new audiences. So, you know, people who want to find out about that have some, they could, they could join in if they want to go, how, now I have NLP, how do I apply it in a corporate or a coaching setting? Right. Uh, syntax is kind of a translation into things that are, are grokkable, if you will. <laughs> oh, good. Robert Heinlein, yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and it's fun because it has allowed it, what allowed me over the course of all this time is to go into foreign lands like engineering and learn from people and, and model what was working in systems design and other kinds of business activities that would not normally be what somebody who follows the, you know, the TA NLP therapy teaching path, you usually don't get to go across, across it, into those lands. Yeah, no, I get it. So um, the book you wrote is called what? I've forgotten exactly. It's um, smart, smart Work. Smart Work, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, Smart Work. It's currently, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that's why I have the T. <clears throat> the subtitle yeah. is, is Smart Work, the Syntax Guide to Influence. Yes, it can be ordered on Amazon. It can be ordered from the uh, publisher, which we prefer to do, which is happy yeah. about it. Happy about so if, they, if they go to your website, syntax or change, they, they can, can get it find there. it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They can get it. They can also just get a chapter and read one of the chapters. Because some, oh, cool. some, some of my friends who are also have at times been corporate clients or and corporate partners in teaching mm -hmm. syntax and, and bringing it out have called it the Bible huh? or, you know, similar to how coaching relationships work. Yeah. She was bringing some of that material, you know, and NLP to her coach's circle in Austin. Yeah. But she's somebody who's been a supporter of, of smart work and spreading it in corporate settings for a long time. Somebody I met in NLP and being involved in NLP back in Washington, D.C. in the day. <laughs> back in the day. So the networks work. The networks work, Doug, just like it brought us yeah. together. So the, um, the the idea of the syntax guide to influence. So the syntax for change, syntax guide to influence. Um, smart work, yes. 
Yeah, smart workers. The subtitle is syntax guide to influence. So it's it's influence like sales, or what do you mean by sin, by influence? In this well, we wrote it. We we wrote it. We directed it toward people who are uh, technical professionals working in organizations, and really just broke down NLP skills like outcomes. How do you develop? How do you ask questions? Um, you know, how do you, how do you influence within the organization? Because often the issue for people who are both, both innovative and, and the very um, skilled detailed people who program and people who are on the front edge of all that, they have to sell their ideas internally in their organization. They have to get along in teams, just like all of us do. It's not that these, that these skills are particularly needed by them because it's needed by everybody. As yeah. you know, everybody everywhere, we need to learn these skills. That's the book I'm working on now is 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 kind of what people ought to know. <laughs> Seems right. only fair that folks have some of the distinctions that we learn through NLP, you know, and some of the other models. Yeah. I find I've always found it somewhat curious that um, NLP, which is you know, communication skill you know, theoretically. And well, as you were talking with, with Robert, also a state management skill, you know, state management communication. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's actually used for a variety of things, but, you know, overall it's, it's communication. It's, it's, it's communication of, with our interpersonal, intrapersonal communication. Um, and yet sometimes it seems like, you know, unless somebody's talking our, with our jargon, our NLP jargon, we, we can't get the message across. So what you're doing is you're translating it, if you will, to normal language, you know, to, 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 to think, to, to connect, to learn, to, you know, those are, it's like, that's yeah. what the corporate people are already speaking. They're speaking English, basically, yeah. so you're just, you know, putting it into the, the language that they can understand, which is, I think, the basis of rapport, isn't it? To be able to, you know, pace and then lead. That's certainly, that's certainly part of it, is to see how we can speak their language. In fact, we even change the terminology. We talk match and lead just because it's more common, you know, right. match behavior. Um, so we do introduce those, those distinctions. And I would also say that we keep the language. We try to keep the language part light because it's experiential learning syntax. Sorry, I, 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 missed, I missed the word. I missed the word. Keep the language. What? Simple. Keep it light. Keep it light. light. Keep it light. Not, not the heavy part of the learning because what we want is is this, this thing of um, we we use the quote of uh, that's from a, a New Guinea tribe I think that is uh, knowledge is only a rumor until it's in the muscle mm. <laughs> so, so it's all about in our workshops. And even when we do them online or in person, it's very translatable. Is it's about uh, we have people experience the distinctions. Mm -hmm. So you experience asking questions one way. And, and I remember the first time I learned this with Robert Diltz in an NLP workshop is talking about the problem versus talking about the outcome. But we have people and we, we're one of the things we're really good at and that we've been good at at helping other trainers learn is how to uh, present within the within the training setting so that people are very clear on what's the distinction you're trying to get here. 
I don't know if you read, you know, in NLP training, we call them endless triads. That we would try things one way and then we'd try things another way. And we'd always be in triads where one person's observing and one person's working with the other person to get a change. And then you have the third person observing. And so that you can notice the differences between taking one approach or taking another approach right. you know, and, and get feedback That's on what you're doing. So there are a lot of things that are similar to basic NLP exercises and that we mm -hmm. just we just bring them in in as clean a way as we can into our learning processes and then give people a chance to react and respond because then they find for themselves not here is the right way to communicate. You no, know, here's the recipe and here's how you're supposed to do it. It's more, yeah, yeah. I felt that and I felt this so that then when I'm in a conversation with my team, I'll notice when I'm going this way and I have practiced, you know, having the body, the ability to shift to this way. Yeah, got it. Good. Yeah. 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 So well, you've, you've used the word clean a few times. Are you do you are you familiar with clean language, the way that's been put forth as a? Yes, I I am aware of it. I have not, you know, I think once or twice I listened to uh, some message yeah. they were putting out, but I I thought, wow, great. Here are some people who are going down that that pathway and, and working it, but they, they are fairly uh, intensive in the language and the verbal clean mm -hmm. language and articulating. Yeah. And we're having been trained in NLP, we're working in, you know, language as defined as everything that we do. Not just the words themselves. Internal and external. Yeah. Language is, it is all, it is all language and it is all behavior and it is all, but then, you know, there's the whole other side of things. You know, NLP can sound kind of a not meaningful. NLP you know, like, can sound not meaningful? It can feel, you know, it's procedural. I mean, uh -huh, it's uh, yeah. process more than content. Right, right. Um, and so I just, I find that working with, uh, more bring bringing in meaning is important in terms of how people frame their outcomes and and connecting to what's important for them mm -hmm. so that we're not being mechanistic yeah yeah absolutely yeah nlp can sometimes seem somewhat you know like you said procedural and cold and heartless you know just it's a machine oriented how do you get this machine to you know produce the outcome that you want it to produce um yeah I get it. Some of us love this. Some of us love the going, you know, language oh, yeah. and systems and distinctions. <laughs> yeah, some of us do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing because NLP works so well, you know, and it's so unfortunate in a way that it's gotten, you know, I don't know if it's a bad rap, but some 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 schools, some areas it, it does have a bad rap. But when it when it's done properly, when people are are smart thinkers about how the systems work and are putting together like like you've done for years, I mean, I mean, look at the resume at the bottom of your website. You you know you've got Oracle, you've got Hewlett Packard, you've got all these companies that you've been influencing um, with your systems to to make their companies better. I mean, this stuff really works. It does work, but and also. I want to advocate for a, a pure type version of what is NLP. 
Okay, go for it. Because NLP is often interpreted as being the content it has modeled or the processes it has modeled. Mm -hmm. When pure NLP is the ability to model. Mm -hmm. Yes. And since it's modeling what works, you know, I just, I have a funny memory about Wyatt Woodsmall and Richard Bandler and when they went into a government, who was it, a very high level government office and they were asked, what is NLP? And Wyatt's answer was, well, if it works, it's NLP, which to <laughs> me is sort of the confounding of, of we model what works. Right. And so because we are good modelers, you know, as was, as were John Grinder and Richard Bandler and the people with them, like Robert and the other people who are modelers, yeah, David. Uh, they were modeling whatever. They, they yeah. were going for excellence, but they were modeling whatever. So it was the modeling process. It wasn't the, oh, now we have the six steps of reframing. Because, right. you know, to me, anything that gets that procedural is I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. more random. I'm more random and holistic than, than I am linear <laughs> and sequential. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was Wyatt or John. Much this has been attributed to a variety of people, but uh, the the quote that NLP um, is a is a is a an attitude that has left behind a trail of techniques. <laughs> well, at times they said it was a uh, more of a it was a bundle of useful lies. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but what you're talking about is when when we when you model something nlp looks at this it's you know the subtitle of nlp volume one is the study of the structure of subjective experience it's looking to that. see how the system works to create the result that it does which is could be for piano playing it could be for golfing it could be for you know sharpshooting i think Wyatt and and richard and other people did a sharpshooting yes, model yes. project for the army <laughs> back in the day but it, but but the reason it's thought of, and I use it, many people do, as sort of a therapeutic change tool, is because they modeled Milton Erickson and they modeled Virginia Satir and they yeah, modeled Fritz Perls. And they also they modeled, they modeled they modeled some psychics. They went to that. They did that. Oh, they modeled psychics. There was a whole thing where they went to Florida and they were meeting with this guy who was a widely renowned psychic, and they were doing a little bit of outsmarting the psychic somewhat. I think there was some some competitive angle to okay. it. You know, I'm not I'm not sure, but they were. They they I think was it Richard and Ed and Marianne Reese. Okay. In Florida. I think. I was not party to that. I it just was rumored then for some time of what they what they got out of that of trying mm -hmm. and and for me, the in the syntax model, we put a model that came from a different school of thought from Fernando Flores and his linguistic work that was appropriate modeling excellence in business, you know, and how do you interact in business that was not something that NLP modeled, like clear requests and agreements are not in NLP. So Fernando Flores, I'm unfamiliar with his name. Communication for Action was the name of a course that he spread widely. Um, he had some, did work that he called ontological design, a Chilean who had come to the U.S. Okay. Um, and was actually influential in some of the early online messaging systems that were being developed 
interestingly enough, and he was trying to take language acts, speech acts, and put them into software so that people would keep track of their requests, responses, and so on, just like you try to do today with your subject line and email. You know, uh -huh. This is a request. <laughs> right, right, right. But so he was a modeler big time, but in a different in different domains. So if people, there are uh, Bob Dunham of the Institute for Generative Leadership right now, and uh, Karen Aberly are several of the people who are who bring this work out now. Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely, I was strongly influenced by by Fernando and the work that they did. Um, and including them being aware of the embodiment, that embodiment is so important that, that we can't get all mental. Yeah. yeah. Um, but definitely a deeper student of, of speech acts and communication than we found within NLP. And I think their roots in terms of linguistics may have been similar. Now, there were certain people I studied who had roots in linguistics um, and I just don't know that field well enough to mm. know, you know, how they're interrelated, but they're, they're, um, Umberto Maturana was one of the big philosophers. So they overlapped with philosophy, you know, as NLP kind of does. Yeah, you know? it does for sure. I'm, I, I want to ask you how, because this is the essential coaching skills podcast, and I, I certainly want people to, um, come away with some insights that uh, are, are beyond just like, wow, she's amazing. Um, <laughs> what, what, what would be like a, a takeaway that people could have from your syntax for change that what would be a, an example of how that could be used like in a coaching process? If I was working with a client who had an, an, an issue, what would be my syntax oh. for the change? Actually, I'd take some. I'd take something that is a combination of syntax and and a basic, a fundamental of transactional analysis, if I may. Yeah, please. Um, because if I may just stop, stop you right there for a quick second, um, if people don't know transactional analysis, it's a fascinating field of study of, of, of psychology. It was huge back in the seventies, I think, um, when books like Born West, to yes. not the book that turned me onto it back in I don't know late 70s, early 80s. Um, Born to Win was a bestseller. I mean, it was, it was a huge, huge book. And so it was, um, I'm okay, you're okay? Is that transactional analysis? It is, it is. It was, that was written by Tom Harris, who was not actually the founder of, well, yes, he was not the founder of transactional analysis. Uh, Dr. Eric Byrne, B-E-R-N-E. Byrne, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got was a the founder, and it, it began to be popular with the with the bestseller games people play, and a lot that, of things yeah, yeah. in the language now came out I of TA. Yeah, I still have yeah. the book. I just want people to know that if you're unfamiliar with this, check it out because it's fascinating, and there's a lot of overlap as you're about to tell us. So please, and I'd like to come back to that actually because this is where I'm thinking um, that the synthesis of the TA and NLP. And, and some of the energetic NLP, which we haven't talked about yet, um, energetic come NLP, together in some of the work that I'm planning to do later this year, where people would have an opportunity to take a class. Oh, well, you know, if they cool. want to be part of a group and take a class, because it's beginning to, it's a new synthesis going on right now. Tell us more. Um, that I've been working on it, but 
to go back to what is useful, you know, what can people take away that is important? Um, that is, that I was saying was from syntax and also recognizing that my fundamental training in transactional analysis that embodies the I'm okay, you're okay principle. Um, and that, that wasn't part of the way therapy or, or training education was done is you make a contract, contracting. Like the only work that we do is because you and I have a contract to do that. And there are certain qualities to a, to a good contract that make 99% of the difference between whether the person you're working with is going to get the change that they want out of the work. So contracting is important. And with syntax, that fits in the arena of reaching agreements, like making a clear request or agreement. And so if you're a coach, how clear is your contract with your coachee? Now, have they used as from NLP or syntax, have they at least given a good shot at what's their desired outcome? Okay. So would that be an example of a contract to say, oh, we, we agree that this is your desired outcome and we will both work towards accomplishing it? It would be first you, you elicit a de desired outcome a purpose, uh -huh. and then the agreement gets made, is here's okay. what you'll do, here's what I'll do. Oh. I am making this offer. You know, I will also make requests of you. You know, I'm your coach. I'm going to yeah. make these requests of you. You're going to make these requests. I'm making this offer, which is I will listen and I will provide XYZ modeling or other information or mentoring or what within the contract okay and here's how we'll know you know which is very nlp is here's how we'll know when we'll get there yeah so it's sensory specific so is this an overtly stated contract you, you could you write this down is that 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 level of specificity i mean a lot of it 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 varies with the depth of the engagement mm -hmm. so there's there is kind of when you're a coach you've kind of got an administrative contract with people and some people have that in writing mm -hmm. of how they'll be paid and what the yeah. meeting frequency will be and what the accountability will be um so i would say that adding a verbal conversation about what the desired outcome is and the coach retaining it enough so that they can bring the client back to the desired outcome Okay, you got know, it. What our contract yeah. is, our contract is that we're working toward this outcome. I mean, I was recently talking with a coach whose person wasn't showing up and was always having a reason to not show up. Mm -hmm. And the contract included the person beginning to show up for herself. And so it was appropriate within that contract for the coach to say, take a look at how it is that you're deferring these sessions because this is within our contract that, you, Got it. that yeah i yeah. mean if that yeah i mean this is not none of it is really rocket science it's just that we're pulling out and articulating things that we mean you know that are part of our embodied practice <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah got it are we got making it. sense here are, are we <laughs> <laughs> right good so so then with the syntax what's the next step after that after they after the contract after contracting 
well, the contract tells you, you know, what it is you're going to be working on. If we're using okay. syntax as our frame and as our model, then yeah. we would do an assessment of these five areas of syntax of, uh -huh. you know, people's own, their various ways of doing the self-assessment. Um, we have, have adopted a variety of tools such as doing a social atom. It's called that in psychodrama, but it's really, um, just drawing a map of the main relationships in a person's work or depending on what context they're working in, their work team, you know, or, yeah. and then actually mapping what's going on in the relationships just by the type of, okay, let's assess and look at each aspect of where you need to have influence because syntax for influence is, is who is it that you, we need to have positive outcomes with. Yeah. 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 Got it. And then, yeah, it can go a lot of directions. It can go a lot of directions. Yeah, I can see that. So, and does transactional analysis come into there as well? Like you being the child or you being the parent or? Well, so that doesn't, you know, within syntax, we don't introduce those concepts. Okay. You know, because we're sort of intentionally skirting personality content. We're okay. teaching it as systems. You know, and then people are bringing their own personality and their own, you know, we're not doing anything that would be um, really getting into the inner space. Got it. Yeah. Um, and the TA, it's just the language is so useful and the different aspects fit together so well that mm -hmm. part of my, my passion, what I've been doing apparently my whole life is I like to learn different models. Uh -huh. like to assess how they are as models. Like what makes a good model? What makes it elegant? What makes it essential? And so how do you boil things down and are they coherent? You know, so like NFT, there are a lot of categories of stuff you can learn. It doesn't have an internal coherence. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, as yeah. far as, whereas TA, you have an understanding of the personality and how it develops. And you were referring to the parent, adult, and child ego states. Like, yeah, yeah sometimes I'm telling you, go <laughs> clean your room. Right. And I'm doing it in such a way that you won't ask, the, you won't question of, unless you're a teenager or a two-year-old, in which case you will fight me automatically. You know, so these are things I would know in TA is developmentally what would be going on at what stage. So here I am, you know, in my parent, or I can be, as we've been talking, mostly adult with a little sprinkling of child <laughs> in it. Yeah. Um, and when people can sort out that their transactions with other people are continually resulting in what they don't want, then they recognize the next stage of, of transactional analysis, which is game analysis. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I keep interacting in such a way that I end up feeling hurt? Or how is it that people, you know, I keep giving people advice, but then they turn on me and they don't take the advice. You know, or how is it that, you know, I always end up in between my spouse and my child and, and we're having an ongoing circular fight, right. you know, or something goes on. And so right. having the tools of TA to decode that with game analysis, and then you see how it fits into a life script. So moment by moment, I'm having my internal dialogue. I'm having my relationship with you. And what I'm doing 
is I'm, I'm acting out, I'm enacting my life script. So let's say I use NLP techniques and I really shift and reframe. Then mm -hmm. I may be making a change in my life script. Because moment to moment, then I will be engaging in behavior that's more productive. Yeah. Nice. So just does it sound obvious to you? <laughs> it's very clear to me. I just want to make sure it's clear to some of my listeners who might not know these terms because I have read I read boy, I read Born to Win probably like nineteen seventy-eight or something. I was still in college. <laughs> um you know, and, and uh, yeah, so I'm familiar with these terms, and I also have got I got a couple of children's books like TA for Teens, which which cleared it. You know that book? It laid it out very, very clearly, and so I do understand. But as you know, life scripts is fascinating concept. I, I just think it's brilliant. But I know that there are some people who are listening to this who are hypnotists who are thinking, "So you're talking about like a hypnotic script that you write a script and it's like, no, <laughs> right. that's not what and we're it's talking so about." It's so interesting. You know, I'm sorry, I didn't let you finish. No, that's okay. I just wanted to make sure that people understood what, what you're talking about when you say a life script. What could you? And it's so funny. I mean, since the day of when TA came forth, there's so yeah. many modern therapies that use, that are addressing variations of the same things without the simplicity of language, but they're still doing so narrative therapy, for example, mm -hmm. understanding life narratives would be something on the bridge to life scripts. Mm -hmm. Life script um, and, and meta programs might be another way of showing how the life script shows up in NLP terms, meta programs. Yeah. But a life script is the story of your life based on early decisions that you've written for yourself. Right. And, and that then you grow up and you try it out and you figure out how to show up as the person that you wrote you would be in your life script. Right. And you sort of audition other people in your life for the roles that would be. So you can really use you know, drama and psychodrama as much as the framework yeah. for understanding yeah. life script as something where you're writing a script or a narrative. It's right. just what the child wrote for themselves and then, then the life course is what actually happens. Right. So, yeah, so nothing of this is actually written. Nobody's written this down. This is not an actual script. This is just metaphorical representation right. of like, you know, I have this. And again, the reason I was asking you about contracts, can you make it so explicit that you can actually write it down, is that we have these agreements, these in a way contracts with, you know, I'm going to act this certain role the script that I have for myself, I'm going to be this way and you be that way. I'll be this way. You be that way. This is our role. We've agreed on it non-verbally, you know, sort of, but we've, we've agreed that you'll be this and I'll be this. And this is our little pattern that we'll stick with. And then, you know, that's what I've agreed on. And then I'll, that's my life script and I'll go through life like that. And so I'll always find somebody to fill that role for me so that I can be in this role, but we don't have to stick to those roles. They're games. They're just, roles they're just scripts that we wrote and we can rewrite them and shift the different scripts do different things and have a completely different right. life if we chose to i mean one of the ways they distinguish types of scripts is you have your winner script mm -hmm. you have your non-winner or at leaster script right and you have your loser script 
So yeah. that one's interesting. There another way that people observe scripts, which are are that you can also hear in their language patterns. There's uh, somebody named Taby Kaler who developed a whole area called mini scripts, which is in a way as close as it comes over to NLP because it's such a behavioral model of how people act out their script on a moment to moment basis. Hmm. Um, and one, so one of the things that you can are listen for are verbal patterns that represent uh, be perfect, try hard, mm -hmm. be strong, hurry up, please others. Hmm. People can usually identify like which are their primary one that they're driven by hmm. in their acting out of their life script. Wow. What's, what's that person's name again? Taby, T-A-I-B-I, Kaler, K-A-H, L-E-R. He developed a model called Process Communication Model, PCM. Okay. A.B. Kaler and Process Communication. And I think it's taken on some other names. And similar to TA, it is as well known abroad as it is in the United States or North America. I see. And some of these things have migrated so that the fact that many people in the U.S. haven't heard of transactional analysis, some people who move here from other countries are like, What? No, you, you don't have people, you don't have TA training in every town. Right. And there right. was, we did it one time. Oh, that and that's huge. one of the reasons yeah, that yeah. I want to teach more TA because I don't want it to be lost. I want TA to be out there in the current, whether you're a coach, I mean, as an essential coaching set of coaching skills, mm -hmm. transactional analysis is just one of the best sources anywhere because you're, I mean, even in the relationship between the coach and the client, yeah. you're varying between you know, parent, adult, and child. And just as with a therapist, they are going to act out their life script and you have a role in their life script. And if you're not a, an observer of that, mm -hmm. you can play into, like what you were talking about with Robert is people set a field around them. Mm -hmm you can be playing into the field of their life script without being conscious of it. Sure, of course. And yeah. then it ends up, it does not end well. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, actually it ends perfectly. It ends exactly the way it was scripted to, but it doesn't end well. Right, exactly perfect. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I really like your attitude, Doug. <laughs> You know, I had a therapist once who was a Jungian analyst who um, his doctoral thesis was um, called the renegade factor. And he was talking about basically this same sort of thing that, that we have this role we're supposed to play that we've contracted for verbally, non-verbally, you know, consciously, unconsciously. But we, we've, we said this is who we're supposed to be in life. And we go through life, you know, fulfilling this role. But as we reach uh, through therapy and work, um, get to a place of, of individuation, as Jungian would call it, then we can, we can be a renegade. We can say, I'm going to renege on that contract. And basically it feels, this is his phrase, it feels like you're committing a crime. You're committing the crime of your own uniqueness. Mm, oh, wow. Love that phrase. Love that. You're the crime of your own uniqueness. I love it. And yeah. I mean, some of the work with transactional analysis uh, overlaps with Gestalt therapy. Right. 
Yeah. And so a bunch of the reworking that can happen, you know, between a person's internal parent, adult, and child can happen with some projection techniques where you mm. actually are renegotiating oh, cool. the role, you know, with the parent in your head, yeah. so to speak, and make yeah. new decisions that then are integrated throughout the whole personality so that it's natural to you and that you're like, oh, not like I'm this person trying to act like mm -hmm. it's that you have done the work with the, you know, yes, Richard and John, I, when they were first starting out, transactional analysis was very big in the U.S. Yes. And they liked putting it down and saying the only people who have three people in their head are transactional analysts. <laughs> 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 when um, TA is just simply another way of modeling what people recognize as their own subjective experience that we do have those. Yeah. It's also interesting in the history of NLP with Richard and John that, you know, this the, the gestalt modeling that they did of Fritz Perls. I mean, in the early days, you were there at Dotar. Um, so I'm, I'm, tell me if I'm wrong, but there is a lot of, of use of positions and gestalt sort of thing and step over to this person and talk to that person over there in this empty chair technique or whatever. And that kind of was the thing about NLP until they met Erickson. And then yeah, yeah. So there was the gestalt part. There was the kind of psychodrama part that came through the Virginia Satir mm -hmm. where we're Satir positions. You know, and oh, understanding yeah. that was some of the content they also brought along with Fritz Perls and the Gestalt. Right. They actually, I was there at one point where they were um, modeling, I'm not thinking of his name right now, but I, uh, the felt, yes, Moshe, Moshe Feldenkrais. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he was there. And it was quite interesting to watch Richard Bandler interact with Moshe Feldenkrais. <laughs> it, just, it, was, it was special. <laughs> now, you also went, to Phoenix, didn't you? Worked with Erickson yes. for a couple. Tell us about I that. Did. You were, yeah. Tell us about I that. I was so very fortunate because there were there was a long, long waiting list because all the NLPers in the world wanted to go see Erickson, and <laughs> I was not initially jumped at the chance because I was actually afraid if this man could really see through you, and I wasn't. I was a little too defended <laughs> to to want that, but I soon got over that. And um, and and had the opportunity open up twice, sort of by fate, that if I could abandon whatever I was doing and get on a plane, I could get to Phoenix. Uh -huh. And so two different times, one was more planned, and one was a very spur of the moment. And I got to go, uh -huh. um, and it was quite uh, that was life changing for me. And I even. Uh, had heard that somebody else had done this. And so I'd seen them do it the first time I was there. So the second time I asked him for some time just with him, mm -hmm. he said, and he said in his almost not understandable way of speaking was when the others leave, you stay. Uh -huh. And so I stayed and I had about an hour of sitting with Milton. And wow. at one point I said, you know, Dr. Erickson, would you, tomorrow in the group, would you mind putting me into a trance? Because I'm not sure I've ever been in one, which now is like <laughs> the funniest things I ever said, but I just didn't have the validation of what is it. You know, and the right. next day he had me in a 
position where my arm was raised and I couldn't stand up. And, and I was, he got me completely convinced that, but then when I was sitting with him, he said, I said, I don't think I've ever been in one. He said, have you heard the traffic sounds for the last hour? And I said, no. He said, some people don't want to know when they're in a trance. It gives them more freedom. <laughs> he always had a way. And I, I told you yesterday that I had his signature. And oh, I was signature. Saying his picture. Wow, that's so cool. And this is him saying, be wary of your conscious mind. It's too damn curious. Trust your unconscious mind. October 1979, Milton H. Erickson, MD. Beautiful. What color is the ink? Oh, purple, of course. <laughs> and, and when I left there, I was not consciously doing it, but suddenly I found I was purchasing mostly purple things. I suddenly had purple in my wardrobe. I suddenly, I was like, ooh, gay, that worked. <laughs> and well, I returned to it in later life just because I love it, but yeah. <laughs> I just, I didn't notice which book that was that was signed, like that, which book it's was it? Hypnotherapy, that? it's the one he did with uh, Ernie Rossi. Okay, yeah, 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 good, yeah. It was just happened to be the one that was you know, there at the time. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. That's thrilling. That's yes. cool. Yes, that's well, I've been so fortunate. I mean, I actually got to go to a workshop with Virginia Satir one wow. time. It was a large workshop. It wasn't like an intimate connection at the same level. Uh -huh. But I uh -huh. have the experiences that were produced in that one workshop for educators. Have stuck with me. The metaphors created, and the um, they were truly uh, groundbreaking. I I came on too late to meet Fritz Perls, uh huh, or or Eric Byrne, the founder of transactional analysis. He had already passed before oh, I got really? into TA. Yeah, oh, so he died yeah. in nineteen seventy, and I got into TA in seventy two. Did he die young, or was that did that work come along late? For he him? died. He died of exactly what he was writing about in his book about scripts. He died at 60 of a heart attack. Wow. Because he had a, his father had done the same thing. His mother. Something. His mother. His mother. Hmm. I, I believe. I believe it was his mother. Yeah. That was because in the book, What Do You Say After You Say Hello, which is a major work on, on life scripts. He talks about this. It was published after his death. Mm -hmm. And the story of the, you know, that he uses as an example, you know, it's it's the the doctor doesn't get to heal himself in that case. Oh, yeah. But he was so definitely right a pioneer. Definitely a pioneer. Well, I'm sorry you didn't get to meet him, but boy, the people that you have met and worked with is astonishing to me. Did you ever meet Gregory Bateson? No, no, I was too too late. I was too late, but I get to meet people like you. And this is what know, have you right? ever seen? The, have you seen the Nick and Mondi tapes of Milton? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and one of the things he says as he's sitting in his wheelchair. He says how wonderful it is to be in his wheelchair because people from so many parts of the world come to see him. <laughs> you know, I just feel very blessed to have been connected with you and with all of the people who are part of the, the TA and the NLP world. And the one we mentioned yesterday that we hadn't talked about yet today, 
Art Geyser, who's the developer of Energetic yeah. NLP. Tell us a little yeah. bit about energy, because frankly, I have heard of Art Geyser. I know the name for over a long time, but I don't really know what Energetic NLP is. And you told me a little bit about it yesterday. So could you just tell us a little bit about it in the little remaining time that we have left? Sure, sure. And people are welcome to, they should they should go check out energeticnlp.com if they okay. have some interest in the, I would put it this way, in the non-visible realms. I mean, here we are in NLP, everything comes down to sensory, you know, experience we can describe yeah. in sensory-based terms what we experience well. In energetic NLP, we go to what we can describe an experience that might not be sensory based. I mean, yes, I can interpret it and use sensory terms to describe uh, things that would not necessarily be visible to another person or feelable. In other, in other words, energy. Energy exists. Okay. Energy exists. Our thoughts create energy fields. Our, our beings exist at, at a more expanded level than just the individual human that we see. Whether we think in auras, whether mm -hmm. we think in different kinds of energy systems and how they interact, well, art has taken it to the level of how do we, with our normal human human perception, open up to uh, more levels of perception? And how do we do healing, if that's what we're into doing? How do we do, whether it's changing our life course, something like that? Um, how do we align our, our words that he uses are like soul, spirit, unconscious, and conscious mind, and body? How do we align all of those levels so that we could take congruence to a whole new understanding? Mm -hmm. And how do we read what's going on, including remotely? You don't have to be there with, you know, you don't even have to be on Zoom or yardstick <laughs> or YouTube. Um, so some of the things that we engage in are remote healing, hmm. you know, reading and, um, and doing what we'd call energy work. And so it has a foundation in NLP, but also has a foundation in spiritual traditions that art has studied. And it's just been great to have him as a teacher because there are spiritual teachers that's kind of come with the cost of adhering to their belief system. Yeah. And it's really clear with art that he doesn't take that position and that, you know, his, he introduces it. It's sort of like what Richard and John said when it was a pack of useful lies that they were teaching as NLP is yeah. he calls it the beliefs du jour, huh. you know, so that we're open to expanding our beliefs and, and being aware of more than our, our initial rational training might have allowed for. So for me, it's both, uh, nourishing and a lot of fun because you can't do it unless you're lighthearted. You can't out, do it. Out of yeah. curiosity, um, speaking of NLP and spirituality sort of things, are you familiar with um, Connie Ray Andreas's latest work, The Wholeness Process? I have not. I have not grabbed it yet, and I have been an admirer of Connie Ray uh, throughout. Throughout yeah. all these many yeah. years, yes. Yeah, me too. yeah, it's a the 
Core transformation is great. I use that all the time with people, um, but she's really gone, you know, full into the wholeness process, or I think that's what it's called. And um, yeah, I, I don't know enough about it to really describe it. And I, I guess I missed the launch of it for this year, so I got to wait because they do it in a second. So, so I get it to next year. But I, I'm looking forward to finding out more about it. But I was just wondering how well. It, integrated with what you're talking about with energetic and this kind of spiritual approach to NLP or NLP I look forward to checking that out because it makes sense. I mean, we, I sometimes question, well, is it that I'm, I'm learning more and evolving or simply moving through the life stages that people move mm -hmm. through where mm -hmm. I'm more, um, yeah, more about wholeness than about let's solve this. Yeah. Things. Oh, <laughs> well, gosh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. This has been so fun and enlightening, and such a delight to to get to know you, Lucy. It's just amazing to me. So, um, one more time for people to find you, they go to syntaxforchange.com. Is that correct? That's that's a good place. And if they wanted to email you, could it, would it be Lucy at Lucy at syntaxforchange.com? Okay. And great. it would be great to hear from people if they have an interest in, in TA or in any of this energy stuff, because um, new things are emerging. There, this is a yeah. time of change, and, and whoever wants to play in this emergent universe. And I just so appreciate you, Doug, because I, I see and hear how you are capturing and, and sharing uh, the learnings from a lot of different people. So yeah, I admire you a lot. Well, thank you very much. But it's it's, it's such a delight to be able to do this. The technology is amazing. Can you imagine what I owe so much to COVID? <laughs> you know? I, I, I hate to say it, but it's true. It is really, really true. I, I would I, also, before we go, would mention again that those who are looking at applied NLP uh -huh. in corporate, in learning or coaching sessions, Yep. That smart work is a good resource for you. It's very good to, uh, as something to give to clients. Smart work, your book that is through. Uh, smart work, the syntax guide to influence yeah. that you can find at my website that you can find yeah. in, you know, in, in the yeah. interwebs. Um, Beautiful. But I think people would find that helpful. Yeah. I'm sure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.